Rose Podcast. Nick Hales of the Redskins Wednesday and Joshua Johnson are here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wear. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me is always from the wonderful state of Hawaii, Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. What's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. Just got that rookie draft fever. How are you doing today? Uh yeah. We if we're lucky, we might actually the DFW forty eight draft might actually end during the podcast. I think there's only two picks left, two or three picks left. <laughs> Um, just got an email that somebody in my startup took Devin Johnson in the twentieth round. It's an interesting move there, but uh followed up shortly by Demarcus Robinson, who's a guy I'm surprised and still has sticking around in a lot of the leagues that I'm in rookie draft style. So we're kinda nearing the end of rookie draft uh many rookie drafts, but uh, I'm sure we'll update you uh fully a little bit more on that. Uh, next week, we got a short little update. Me and Nick are going to do some of our own teams here this week. Um, just just a quick note. I thought it's kind of an interesting story, Nick. Uh, Moritz Bollringer, the new German wide receiver, not newly German, but the new newest Viking, the wide receiver from Germany. Did you hear about this? He's, he got permission from the NFL to get the special uh, characters on his back of his jersey. I think they're called... Omelets, you know the two. He's going to have like the two zero, two dots above the O in his last name, uh, much like the uh, the Motorhead logo. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah, just interesting. You know, we've seen all these people, all these players get fined for wearing, you know, the wrong color shoes or having too much pink or or whatever it is. Um, uh, interestingly enough, you should know the answer to this question, Nick. But you know, there is only one other player in the league that has a special character on the back of his jersey. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I was actually going to bring it up. Uh, that's Pierre Garçon. I mean, he's got the little uh, deal on his C. And, yeah, I mean, if that's the way their name is spelled, then they should have be able to put whatever characters they want if that's what their name is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, I'm always amazed when I take Garçon in my phone. I can take a lot of notes in my phone. It puts that character in there. Like, I can't do that if I want to, but anytime I type his name, it automatically completes it for that. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. And that's, uh, it must, his, his name must be really relevant somewhere in the world for that to happen. So, uh, oh, and the DFW 48 draft just completed. Uh, somebody took Trey Mason, veterans available in this draft too, with 4.47, followed by Chris Moore, the uh, Walvis. Wide receiver from Baltimore at 4.48. Now, I know you got him in the seventh round there, Nick. Uh, pretty interesting uh, chain chain of events there between those picks. Obviously, we had a little bit more veterans there in that rookie draft that we did, so that helps it. But uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that, Chris Market? I I feel like there's a lot of, lot of bodies there. I feel like Baltimore just got a lot of offensive players to see what they can come out with. There's a lot of bodies, but not a lot of big names. I mean, Steve Smith, if he's returning, is the biggest, but he's 50 years old. And, I mean, Kamar Aiken, uh, Marlon Brown haven't really proven to be elite wide receivers. So there's a chance for them to get to, to have an impact. 
Um, and I didn't happen to notice today when I was just sorting through depth charts and teams that uh, apparently New England, who's also brought in a lot of pass catchers this offseason, has DeAndre Carter, who was a wide receiver for the Ravens last year. So maybe a, it'll be interesting to see who emerges out of there, uh, as you also took Nate Washington in the seventh round of the draft today. I saw that. So I was actually going to do that too, but hey, I got Daniel Braverman instead. I, I, I love that Braverman kid there. But uh, we'll get to some more rookie synopsis here in a little bit. But today is our, what I'm calling the IDP looking glass. Um, and of course, we have to bring in a true expert as we bring in our IDP team captain here at DFW. Let's see. Bill, are you there? Yeah. How you doing, guys? Good. I just realized this is probably like what your twelfth time on the podcast, and I don't have a musical intro for you. What am I doing? Oh. I, 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 we need to fix that, Bill. <laughs> well, you know the, the the problem is that my musical tastes are so eclectic; it might end up being something from a musical or something. So it probably wouldn't be good for the listeners. So, you know, <laughs> I, no no harm, no foul. Oh, uh, okay. Um, well, as as Nick put it via text, a lot of people out there are playing checkers when it comes to IDP but um, you're kind of you're kind of the chess master around here and I I, I I responded by saying well I play lots of chess and just not very good at it so I, I think that's a compliment <laughs> in there somewhere <laughs> well thank you I appreciate that um, well we asked Bill to look into his IDP looking glass here for the future with these uh, with these IDP rookies you know again it's it's something that we're not going to probably see a lot of relevance, a lot about a whole, I mean, you know, maybe just two or three of these guys are going to be IDP relevant this year. But if you, you know, your team's building for the future and you you have the roster space, I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to want to listen to this, listen to it closely. You never know who's going to merge because year two and three is so big for a lot of defensive players. Very, very rarely. And I'm sure Bill can agree with me here is that, that we see some huge, huge things come out of rookies, at least, you know, not more than, you know, a handful of them each year, don't you think, Bill? Absolutely, 100%. You can point to guys like Ziggy Ansah that, uh, you know, that took a year or two to emerge. And on the defensive side of the ball, there are very few and far between uh, J.J. Watts and Aaron Donald. So there, there are far more uh, guys in the middle that take a year or two to emerge. So that's a very astute observation. Mm. And even looking at the the two big names you mentioned there with J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald, I don't think anybody predicted that at all. I mean, J.J. Watt wasn't this 15-a-season sack master at Wisconsin. I mean, Donald, right. and Donald certainly had the production, but everybody said, oh, he's undersized. It's going to take, you know, it's going to take time. Uh, you know, he just he just does his thing. I mean, he's, he's just a force up the middle. But, uh um, I guess any any comments? I mean, I know we did an IDP show a, a few months back now, so maybe six yeah. weeks ago, and we and we talked about this being a fairly decent decent IDP class. So maybe you know maybe we're looking at more of the three or four guys as opposed to the one or two guys come out. But uh, future wise, this, this is pretty good pretty good class altogether. Would you say? Absolutely. Um, what I would say first and foremost is, and, and this is just kind of a general philosophy of value. You've had me on several times, and, and we've talked about this and hashed this, that you really need to keep an eye out for value. Very, very seldom is there that one guy that you really want to reach for and you just are 100% sure that he's locked and loaded as an absolute stud. Miles Jack would be a guy that if he were healthy and he didn't have the medical issues, 
he'd be that type of guy. He'd be that type of guy to reach for in the mid to late first round and feel very comfortable about it. But most of the time, um, what I like to do is take the value. So I like to look at the tiers, and um, I'd much rather take a guy in, you know, like Darren Lee in the late second than reach for Miles Jack in the late first. So it's very important to look at value and kind of have your tiers of, of guys that you like. And, you know, if you've got two or three guys in the same tier, wait to get that last guy. You're probably going to get him a round or two later, and that's going to present a lot more opportunities for you to um, win on the offensive side of the, bo- the board in earlier draft rounds. Uh, well, and thanks to my co-host, Nick, I think I, I learned a lesson on that as somebody who took Miles Jack at 1.14 in, in a 16-team league. Um, I, and I even told myself when I acquired that second and third first-round first pick, I was like, gosh, I should really spend one of these on a quarterback or at least really need to think about it. I, of course, took Jack with the with the last of my third 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 round, or excuse me, the third of my first round picks, and then Nick, of course, started the quarterback chain, and I missed out. I think if I would have taken a quarterback there, maybe something else would have happened. I probably still would have had a Jack available for me there at uh, one point zero four. I would imagine. So it's just. A and I think it's important. To be it's learned. important for you to recognize too in that exact situation, Josh, that. On occasion, you can trade down three to six spots and pick up some draft capital, perhaps a third or fourth round pick, and still get the guy that you want. So relative value is very important to keep in in perspective. Jack, you probably could have had him at 2.4. If you trade down to 2.3 or 2.04, maybe you pick up a third, fourth, or fifth rounder, and uh, and that player could end up being a a, a contributing safety or something to that nature. So it's, it's really important to look at that value. Sure, and or I could have just taken a quarterback. Uh, but uh, I also like to look at the fact that how I acquired that pick was uh, Dion Lewis. So essentially, I traded Dion Lewis for Miles Jack. So oh, that's that's what I tell myself to keep to keep me in a happy place. Uh, <laughs> Nick, any other questions? Any other questions there for Bill before we get started on his top five? Um, no, I think we pretty much hit on everything. I'll probably start on the defensive line. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I will say this. I'm looking forward to – there's a handful of quarterbacks out there. I know this is the IDP show, but there's a nice a nice glob of quarterbacks coming in 2017, as I started to write, write that Davy report. I, I like I like a lot of the guys. Uh, we'll see how that, how that pans out because, especially with this next class being really heavy at running back, I think there's going to be, you know, as opposed to like a big three at quarterback, like we see kind of every year, I think there might be a big five. So hopefully, hopefully you guys will, won't uh, screw me out of a quarterback next year too. But anyway, uh, uh, who do you? Bill's going to give us his top five defensive linemen, his top five linebackers, and his top five uh, defensive backs. So Bill, why don't you just go counting from backwards, like five to one on the D, D line, and then we'll ask you some questions after that. Okay. Sure. Um, my number five guy is a guy that has risen quite a bit uh, on my charts, and that's Charles Tapper out of Oakland. Um, the depth charts, you know, it's pretty much uh, it's it's a crapshoot to really look at depth charts at this point. You know, you can pull up depth charts for various sites, and they're really not going to be established other than the 100% locked and loaded guys. I do believe Charles Tapper in year one will, in particular with Mario Edwards' health situation, Tapper's going to work in to get a, a decent amount of snaps. He may not be a DL1 this year, um, but I really like his skill set. I like his mobility. 
Um, I like the draft capital, the, the fact that, uh, you know, Oakland spent a decent pick on him. Um, and that situation with having uh, Khalil Mack on the other side, I think, is, is one of the better situations to be in. Anytime you can have pressure on, on the opposite side of you, you have a lot of opportunity to uh, have, have uh, success. So I, I like Charles Tapper at number five. Um, at number four is a guy that um, I like better than the consensus, and that's Carl Nassib out of Cleveland. Um, I like uh, the situation there. I like the defensive scheme. I like um, what they do there as far as the aggressiveness of their attack. And I think Nassib is a guy that can come in. Um, he, to me, is a guy that has a little bit of a nasty streak. Um, he was a smart guy, uh, did perform well as far as grades in college, which I always think translates well as far as being a thinking man's uh, player. And I really like Carl Nassib uh, better than, than the average person. Um, at number three, Noah Spence out of Tampa Bay. Um, here's a guy that I struggle with a little bit. Um, you know, I, pre, pre uh, draft, I didn't really, I wasn't really as high on him and, uh, Tampa Bay. I like again, I like the system. I like the fact that there's, um, great ancillary players around him. I like that linebacking core a ton and there's going to be opportunity there. Um, I'm not sure, you know, temper expectations in year one, as far as what his actual numbers will be, um, how, how often will he be in three down situations? Um, that's, that's a, a big question mark for me, but I like his long-term outlook. Um, number one and two typically is, uh, is interchangeable for most folks. Um, I have Bosa, Joey Bosa at number two. Um, I, I love his skill set. I still am kind of perplexed at how San Diego is going to use him. Um, I, I was one of the guys that said that I felt he would actually be, even though it kind of kills defensive end dynasty value, I thought he'd be a better 3-4 outside backer. Um, however, you know, San Diego disagrees. So we'll see how they, how they line him up. We'll see what they do. Right now he's listed as a defensive end, and that's, you know, how they're going to play him. So, um, I'm cautiously optimistic about Bosa. My number one guy has not changed. Uh, it's been the same since, um, you know, months and months and months ago. It's DeForest Buckner. Um, couldn't have asked for a better landing spot, in my opinion. I think uh, with his old coach, um, that uh, that front needs help. And uh, he's going to have Armstead opposite him, which I think um, is is going to be good. Armstead didn't really do much last year, but the fact that We've got Chip there. Uh, we've got some familiarity. Um, those guys uh, know each other. Um, I just think Buckner's a guy that can kind of like a Ziggy Ansa that can grow into that role. He's athletic. He's long. He's smart. Um, he's a very, very good football player. Um, I'm not sure expectation-wise how well he'll do in year one. He'll get plenty of snaps. Um, the sacks may not be there. He may take a year to learn um, and to develop some of his secondary moves because that is one knock on Buckner is – he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of uh, great secondary moves, but uh, I think long-term this guy in year two or three could be an absolute beast and potentially a top five or six defensive lineman in this, uh, in, in, in dynasty terms. Uh, yeah, I'm slowly uh, coming around uh, to the, to the Buckner idea. Um, interesting point too on the Bosa, you know, potentially being a, a more effective linebacker that, Man, that linebacker designation killed the defensive line class, I guess, in my opinion. There's a lot of there was a lot more people out there before before MLF excuse me, MFL had their designations there and that uh, uh that really hurt. Nick, any questions there for Bill about the top five? 
Oh, well, there's a guy that's not in your top five that is in uh, DFW's top five, and that's Sheldon Rankins, the defensive tackle for New Orleans. Uh, I think you have him actually as your defensive tackle number three, whereas the the rest of the site has him as a DT1. Uh, Can you tell us why you're not quite as high on him as others? Well, I I tell you, for me, the D tackles, um, unless you're in a defensive tackle required league, um, for me, it's going to be tough to to get into my top five or six um, rankings. Um, I have the top three or four defensive tackles as very fluid. I think that they're very close in terms of um, value. I think that they're all very athletic and and in good situations. I just am not a guy that in in non-defensive tackle required leagues, I would rather take a chance on a defensive end that um, I think has a higher ceiling and maybe not quite as good of floor. I would agree that Rankin's floor is probably better than maybe somebody like Tapper, but I think that when you look at ceiling – Defensive tackle um, is a very tough position to to put up big numbers. Um, as I, I said, uh, you know, Aaron Donald's a, a freak of nature. You take Aaron Donald out of the picture, and it's really a, a coin flip every week as to who the top three or four defensive tackles are going to be production-wise. So it's very, very difficult to, to project um, output and productivity from that position. So really it's more of a philosophical thing for me rather than a skill set thing. He very well could be a more talented, more athletic uh, person than someone like a Tapper or Nassib, but I think because of the position and how the position um, typically scores out, um, I'm more inclined to go with the defensive end at at that time. And the interesting thing too about Nassib is he, you know, he got the DN designation, but Ogba, the other big edge guy, got the linebacker, and I. I guess I just see both of those guys as DNs. Um, what What are your thoughts on uh, Jonathan Bullard? I know I know we were maybe you were maybe a little higher on him pre-draft. Does the landing spot hurt? I, I mean, I kind of like it because he played both inside and outside, so I think he could stay stay in there in there three four on all three downs just because he has that versatility. Eventually, don't you think? Absolutely, I have him ranked uh, seventh. So, you know, again, it's kind of fluid there. I, I put Bosa and Buckner in a tier by themselves. And the next three or four guys are kind of uh, real similar. So I, I like Bullard's landing spot, actually. I thought it was uh, prior to uh, his landing spot, I think I had him in the uh, mid-teens. I think I had him at 15, 16. So the landing spot actually bumped him up for me. Um, I think Chicago, uh, they're one of those teams that they really need to find their identity on defense. And they, they had a pretty decent draft, I think. Um, so I, I'm looking at them to improve quite a bit. And I actually, um, I've got a couple shares of, of Bullard and, and the great part about, um, picking him up is he's dirt cheap. I mean, not, not, he's not on a lot of guys' radars. Uh, he can be had pretty late. Um, in fact, we're in, 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 uh, DFW 36, I think we're, he's probably still available and we're, you know, in, in round, uh, early six. So, um, you know, he's, he's a guy that, that, uh, you can certainly speculate, grab him and, uh, and hope for the best. And, you know, that's tremendous value. You know, again, when we talk about value, taking somebody early, you know, taking a Spence in round three or four versus, you know, going for somebody like uh, Bullard or Tapper um, in round, you know, six or seven, um, I think that uh, shows, shows tremendous value. So I actually like him quite a bit as a, as a prospect. Well, and I, I, I listened to our IDP show like six weeks ago, like I said, just kind of in preparation for this podcast. And uh, I said, my own words, I said, uh, I said, I, I, I'm really going to like Bullard if he goes to somewhere where there's already a decent pass rusher that he can play opposite of. And Chicago has Pernell McPhee, who, you know, maybe doesn't have the best IDP status, but he's a guy that 
get sacks and put pressure on the quarterback. And if he's, you know, pushing pushing the pocket Bullard's way, there's going to be potential for some garbage garbage stats there, I think. So I really like that. And I like Eddie Goldman coming up the middle for them, too. I think he's going to get better. So, uh, and, you know, with the added added veteran presence in the middle there with Trevathan and uh, Jabril Freeman, I think, uh, I, yeah, I think Bullard's in a, a very good situation there. Um, Nick, and any other? questions or thoughts about this DL class? Um, well, to play off your comment on uh, how it helps having a uh, proven pass rusher on the defense, do you think that helps uh, some of these young Oakland pass rushers, the fact that they're playing uh, with a guy like Khalil Mack? Absolutely. Uh, 110%. I mean, it's – it's. Uh, I don't know how guys can scheme to, to – uh, to take Mac or Watt or some of these premier defensive players out of the game, they they you basically require a double team, and anytime you're you're double teaming someone, there's a gap or a hole or a sliver somewhere where somebody can make uh, a disruption or or cause trouble. So I absolutely think it helps. Um, somebody's going to be the beneficiary of it. It's tough to say. You know, they 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 drafted defensive ends. You know, Oakland did, and um, relatively close draft capital wise. So both guys I like quite a bit. I like Tapper more. But, uh, you know, Mario Edwards I liked quite a bit last year, but, you know, he's, he's still injured and we're not sure exactly what's going on with him. So I like someone to emerge there. There's, if you have room on your, on your roster to stash, you know, one or two of these guys, you know, on, a, on the cheap, um, I think it's certainly a, a worthwhile investment. Yes, most definitely. Um, forgot my thought there. Oh, sleeper. Do you, have a, do you have a sleeper out there, some guy you couldn't work into your top? Ten, yeah, you know, one one guy that really has risen on my boards, and part of it was because of the designation, is, is Chris Jones in Kansas City. thought he was going to end up being a, a defensive tackle, and, and he is a defensive end by designation. And um, I just think that uh, they require and need somebody to put pressure on the quarterback. Um, you know, they've had success uh, with the linebackers putting pressure on, and I think that they've lacked somebody – um, at defensive end, you know, um, in the last few years, being able to really um, have consistent success. So I really kind of like Chris Jones as a late-round stash. He's a guy that actually I might end up in DFW 36. Uh, I might end up stashing him if he's there in round seven. I might uh, pick him and, and, you know, tuck him away uh, for a rainy day. Um, it's tough, though. You know, anytime you have a, a you know, 3-4 defensive end, their their production is very very up and down. Um, I'd still prefer you know a defensive end versus a defensive tackle in a non defensive tackle required league, but sometimes those productions for those guys are are hard to to predict. But I think that the defense that they run there, I think that uh, Chris Jones has a chance of of being a decent contributor, maybe a DL three type of guy. Yeah, and with with that KC defense, you know they asked. Jay Howard to basically do the same thing last year, a guy that was a defensive tackle by trade, and he kind of moved into that 3-4 D end and had had a fairly decent showing last year. And the people that Absolutely. in DC required leagues were able to exploit that designation for a year too. So that was, uh, that was nice. Kind of sucks that he's a DN now, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to your top five linebackers. Linebackers, I, I will start off by saying I believe that this is one of the deepest linebacker uh, classes that I've seen in, in years. Um, a lot of these guys that are in the late teens, early 20s, I think in, within the next two or three years can end up being contributors 
um, on an NFL team. So I, I'm really excited about this linebacking um, class. I'm trying to hide some of these guys uh, wherever I can. Um, that being said, obviously there's a couple question marks health-wise at the top, but um, there's two guys that, that crack my top five that, that weren't in my top five prior. And number five, I have Leonard Floyd from Chicago. Um, I actually, these two guys, the next two guys, uh, I had to actually go back and watch film on because typically, you know, obviously we all, most of us have a regular full-time job. So the amount of film that we can watch is, is kind of limited. And I didn't really watch any film on, on Leonard Floyd. I went back and watched and he's pretty darn explosive. He's very quick, uh, good laterally, um, has, has great hands. And the fact that Chicago traded up to get him and where they took him draft capital wise makes me pretty excited about him. Um, there's a, there's a huge need at linebacker. Chicago's been trying to shake out this linebacking thing for a couple years now. Um, and I just really think he's going to be a year one contributor. He's, he's going to be one of these guys that I think um, pleasantly surprised every person who, who picked him. So I have Leonard Floyd at five. Number four, in the mold of the, the uh, Deion Buchanan hybrid Mark Barron role, uh, Deion Jones for Atlanta. This is a guy that, again, I didn't watch any film on. And once I saw where he got drafted and read a couple of blurbs and, and watched some news on him, I went back and watched some film on him. And he's electric. He's very, very athletic, um, great vision. Um, Atlanta just absolutely needs playmakers on defense. And I, I believe that, you know, um, that defense is poised to um, take a step up. Um, I don't know if they will be a top 10, top 12 defense, but I definitely think that they're going to crack, crack the top 20. Uh, maybe, maybe in the in the late teens, and I really think Deion Jones can be a an IDP uh, gold mine, and he's being had in, you know, well, he's rising up boards. I've seen it, you know, lately, but I've seen him going in the fifth round, um, fourth, late fourth round. So Deion Jones is a guy I like an awful lot. Uh, number three is a little bit of a polarizing guy because I've seen a lot of different takes on him. Um, that's Darren Lee. Um, a lot of folks don't really like his athleticism. Um, I just like sometimes I just like good football players, and I think Darren Lee is a good football player, or Deron Lee, however you want to pronounce it. Um, I think that he goes into a system that is very linebacker friendly. Um, I think that they've got some aging guys there that um, will be gracefully exiting soon, and he's he's a guy that I look to produce right right out of the gate, and to me is one of the safest linebacking picks. So if you're if you're looking for a safe linebacker pick. Um, I think, you know, mid to late second round, uh, Darren Lee is a guy that, that uh, I, I feel very comfortable uh, taking. Um, the next two guys, uh, no quite, no uh, surprise for me, is Jalen Smith at number two and, uh, and Miles Jack at number one. And, and I'll, tell, I'll t- talk about them both the same because I really have very few shares of these guys. And the reason is because of the medical issues. Um, I don't want to invest – uh, draft capital in the first two rounds in guys that have question marks. Um, I do have a couple of shares of Miles Jack. Um, one because he lasted uh, late second round in a draft, and another I had a uh, trade where he was a uh, he was a uh, Debbie pick, and so I, I got him thrown in as a trade. But those are the only two shares that I own in, in 13 leagues. So I'm just really. Um, not super high on the risk reward factor. There's no doubt that if either of these guys get healthy and either of them are at their um, capability, they're difference makers. They're top five guys. They're 
Luke Kuechly potential type guys if they're healthy 100%. There's no doubt in my mind. I'll stick my neck out and, and say that. However, um, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a risk averse person, so I don't really like to. You know, I had zero shares of Josh Gordon. I've had zero shares. Well, I had one share of Martavis Bryant. Um, I don't like risk. I, I like. I like the value picks. I like waiting on guys. I, I don't. I don't like to stick my neck out. So, Jalen Smith, Miles Jack, two and one, um, both guys that I like an awful lot, and I'm I'm rooting for, but uh, that I, I'm I'm not really trying to roster too much. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting too because I, I I think especially with the IDP side, I think it's okay to play it safe because of you know off the the level of you know the the heavy end of offensive players that go before these guys. So if you want to hold off and not spend a huge pick on a guy that's you know maybe not going to be healthy for a year, that, that's certainly certainly going to give you a better value when you can get a guy, you know, two rounds later that's going to contribute year one and for the next four to five years. Um, so I was hoping hoping you'd have Randy Ragland in there because I'm just still trying to figure out what exactly his role in Baltimore, excuse me, in Buffalo is going to be. Any Any thoughts there? Well, you know, back to my kind of value-centric um, viewpoint. Raglan is a guy I love. However, he's going very early. In, in most drafts, he's anywhere, he, you know, he goes sometimes before Darren Lee or after Darren Lee, and typically before Deion Jones and Leonard Floyd. So Raglan is a guy that is going as a top four linebacker pick. I'm not sure where he's going to settle in. I'm also not sure if he's going to be a three down guy. I, I don't see his his uh, pass defense as elite. Um, he's certainly a tackling machine. He reads and reacts well. He's, he's a great form tackler. I'm just not sure in today's pass-happy uh, league how well he's going to do. So he's another guy that um, I have a couple shares because he, he fell a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not one to reach for him. Um, I, I just um, I don't see him as an elite middle linebacker. Nick, any questions there? Uh, yeah, I was wondering if you have any idea what linebacker position Jalen Smith's going to play when he gets healthy, and if it's on the outside. You know, we see pass rushers, uh, it takes a couple of years for them to uh, develop sometimes. Do you think uh, missing this time due to injury is going to push his development back even farther, or do you think if 100% he's going to hit the ground running? Well, I think that there's a couple things in his favor, one being that the team doctor that has worked on him is the same team doctor in Dallas. So that was obviously, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. That's that. Yeah, that's Jalen Smith. Correct. Um, so, yep. so there's a, a familiar medical staff there that knows his history. They know what his uh, rehab has been. So the knowledge base is there. They know, you know, how to work him. Um, I don't think with the investment that they have, I don't think they're going to put him out there before they feel he's hundred percent ready. That being said, I, I, you know, these type of injuries, is he going to be 85% of what he could have been? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's again, I, I, I don't try to pretend to understand the complexities of these types of injuries. Um, there's so many things that come into factor um, with, with guys um, rehab and how they, how they respond. Some guys come back at 70% and never ever are able to recover. So 
Um, it, my gut feeling is he'll he'll come he'll come back when they insert him in the lineup. He'll he'll give it a hundred percent, and his hundred percent is probably you know eighty five percent of what he could be, and his eighty five percent is probably better than the majority of people's one hundred percent. So. He's a guy that I think will put up IDP numbers, and I think he will be a valuable asset on that team. Uh, they, you know, they have the luxury of having a, some decent depth at linebacker there. So Dallas linebacking core is decent. Um, they're not stellar and super stacked, but they've got some depth there. So, um, you know, I I think that that, that uh, I don't think they'll rush him out there. And I think once he comes back, he'll be ready to hit the hit the floor. And I I personally like him on the outside. I think that uh, he's he's uh, got higher upside. Um, if if I'm if I'm the defensive coordinator, I want him to make plays. I want him on the outside. Um, I think they have other guys that can they can you know fill the middle, and that's just my particular take on it. Well, here's kind of kind of what I think, and and maybe they learned a lesson with uh, with Sean Lee. Uh, I think. If he's going to not be as quick as he was, maybe he is better suited in in the middle to where he can kind of wait and watch things break down. Um, But I think Dallas ultimately moved Sean Lee from the middle to the outside backer just to keep him healthy, and and that seemed to work too. And if if they're grooming him to be Sean Sean Lee's replacement, I I really like his IDP future when when healthy there. So I – I don't know if that made any sense, but I was trying to. Makes total <laughs> sense. You're, you're definitely words. more likely yeah. to get beat up in the middle. There's, there, you know, there's no yeah. doubt about that. You know, when when you're oh. taking on linemen and and uh, you know the backs are hitting you at 100 percent of their speed, you, you know you're you're going to take more punishment in the middle um, as opposed to you know flowing to traffic on the outside. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Or rolled on by a 340 pound guard. You know, or rolled, you know, <laughs> your leg rolled on. <laughs> Oh yeah. So, um, uh, any is a ooh, a sleeper. You got a you got a sleeper running. LB yeah, one. there's there's three guys that I wanted to mention that I really like a lot. And again, it's all depending on where you're picking in your draft and 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 what you're looking at as far as needs. I I really like Antonio Morrison. Um, he's a boring, non-sexy guy that that just kind of is a good football player. But he's entering a great situation, I think, in Indianapolis where their linebacking core is a little a little old in the tooth and um, they're lacking uh, consistency um, other than uh, the old man rivers there. Um, I I think that Antonio Morrison can come in and contribute in year one and be a a solid, solid uh, high end LB three, which, you know, again, doesn't sound too sexy, but when you're talking about being able to play three, three to four linebackers in some of these lineups, um, I think he can be a contributor. I really like Josh Perry a lot in San Diego. Uh, I, I loved watching him on film. Um, he's a guy that I think – I'm not a Manti Teo fan. I think that uh, he's been productive to an extent, but I think it's been one of those situations where um, anybody put into that exact situation and role would have had similar stats. I think that Josh Perry is a much uh, better football player. I think he's a guy that can come in and, and uh, be a better leader. And uh, I see Perry as a guy that takes Teo's job as as early as as uh next next season um so he's a guy that i like as a late stash and then i'm really intrigued by blake martinez um you talk about guys in the middle um in green bay you know they've played around with clay matthews and um you know he's obviously better on the outside rushing the quarterback um blake martinez green bay thinks very highly of this kid and uh 
I think he's going to start day one, and he's a guy that's probably going to put up decent IDP stats. I don't know what his ceiling is, but I think he's got a, a great floor as perhaps a low LB2, um, high LB3. So his floor intrigues me, and he's available in super late in drafts. And then the last guy I have to mention, which I honestly had, have no idea how to rank him, um, my favorite my favorite safety of this class was Jeremy Cash, and he got a linebacker designation, didn't get drafted, had to sign on as an undrafted free agent, uh, ends up in a good situation in Carolina where uh, you know they, they can use some defensive help, but I'm not sure how he's going to fit into the rotation. I'm not sure um, how they're going to use him. They kind of have an undersized linebacker already there. Um, you know, is, is, is Davis going to play forever? I, you know, I don't know what the situation is there, but I'm, I'm, he's on heavily on my watch list for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why, you know, can we talk about Smith? Any, any thoughts on, uh, on Jack? We know he's done that inside outside thing. There's always some safety talk floating around. What, what do you think he ultimately is in that defense? Uh, you know, if, if I'm the defensive coordinator, I put him in the middle. Um, you know, again, the, these guys are so interchangeable. Um, if he's healthy and he's, he's a hundred percent, I like him in the middle. I like his read and react skills. I like his ability to disrupt, um, you know, to him and Telvin Smith, that's, that's a crazy one to punch. That being said, he's definitely going to take away once he's into that lineup, Telvin's numbers are going to dip a bit. So, um, I'm not saying go out and sell Telvin. He's he's one of my top linebackers, but he certainly would be a guy that, you know, if if you could if you could put him in a package and and uh, maybe upgrade somewhere, uh, I, I see uh, Telvin Smith's uh, numbers dipping a bit. So, but I, I like Miles Jack in the middle personally. I think that uh, you know the, the team that that's the best fit for for that team personally. Yeah, and and they've talked about you know. I think you mentioned earlier putting Cyprian in the in the box quite a bit this year too. So you know if they can have Jack in the middle, Cyprian on, on one side and Smith on the other, that's that's a whole lot of uh, tackling athleticism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nasty. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's uh, uh, move on to your top five DBs. Well, defensive backs again. Um, you know, I, I've said it before. It's very fluid. Um, it's very rare that you want to reach for anyone. Um, I like the top two or three guys fairly interchangeable, and then the next two or three guys fairly interchangeable. I'm I'm really kind of just letting stuff come to me. Now that being said, I did get kind of uh, I did get stymied in DFW 16 because I, I was waiting and waiting and thinking I was going to get one of the guys that I wanted. And there was this run on safeties in DFW 16 for some reason. So I ended up having to get Kevin Bayard um, from Tennessee, which I think very highly of, but um, he's not, he's not in my top five or six guys. So, um, but typically you can wait on these guys and, and, and kind of use your tiers. Um, At number five, I have Vaughn Bell, New Orleans. Um, That defense is, is brutal. I think he's a guy that can come in right away, probably start at free safety. Um, and and just contribute right away. Um, number four is a guy that I, I um, that moved up my board a little bit, and that's Darian Thompson. Again, I think he'll probably slide in free safety. Landon Collins is one of the best strong safeties in the, in the business. 
Um, it's rare that I put a, put free safeties, you know, ahead of strong safeties, but I think these two guys can both uh, contribute um, year one with their, with their respective teams. Number three, I have Miles Killebrew. He's a guy that I actually like um, and, and I think is fun to watch. Um, I like him more than the other guys from a, uh, entertainment perspective. I think that he's going to be a fun guy to watch on Sundays, but um, I think that there's two guys that are probably have better statistical value than him, but miles Killebrew Detroit as my third guy. Uh, number two guy that, uh, that Josh kind of uh, worked on me to, to uh, get me to look at this guy over and over. Uh, wasn't really on my radar and he moved all the way up to number two. That's Keanu Neal. Um, the guy just, he's nasty. He likes to hurt people. Um, that, that, uh, that team is, you know, uh, is in need of a, of a safety, you know, with their, their recent loss. And, uh, he's going to step in day one and, and be the starter. And he's probably going to, uh, take on most of the statistics that were left there last year. So I look, look to Keanu Neal to be a, a very, very solid, uh, DB. Um, and number one, um, and I actually almost put Neal number one, but number one's Carl Joseph, uh, Oakland Raiders. Um, the fact of where they took him, um, the draft capital uh, involved, the, that defense, how it's improving, how I think they're going to be putting more pressure on the quarterback, which usually translates to some better numbers for some of these safeties because there's more opportunities for interceptions. There's more opportunities for disruptions and, and passes defended. Um, I, think that, uh, I think that Carl Joseph, if he's healthy, could be an elite top five uh, defensive back in IDP status. Um, I do worry a little bit about the, the health of Joseph. Um, you know, there is, there is some lingering stuff there, but if he's healthy, he's a day one stud. Yeah. And, and I hope with Joseph that they, they just, they, you know, realize they need to, to work him in there and wait, wait until he is fully healthy. I would imagine that they'll probably do that there. So. Uh, Nick, any, any questions there about that? Those top five DBs? Um, I got a question on another guy, uh, Sua Cravens. I was wondering what your thoughts are on him, and is he going to hold more value if he's designated a linebacker or as a safety? Uh, well, this is a point of contention for me and Josh because I, I Josh is a, a Sua fan, and I'm not really a Sua fan. I, I watched I watched as much tape on Sua Cravens as I did on any uh, defensive back. Um, First of all, I, I think he's he's destined to be a safety. I don't think he's I don't think he's explosive enough, fast enough to be a linebacker. Um, his game speed to me is very mediocre. Um, his time speed is is not good either. But his game speed, when I watch him, he's long and can close because of his length. But I really don't see any kind of quick twitch. I don't see uh, I don't see good good fluid hit movement. Um, I I believe that. And, and this is going on a limb, but I think he's going to be one of the busts this year in term, relative to where he is drafted. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, I've seen guys um, in one of my leagues with some very savvy people, he was the first safety taken off the board. Um, and I believe it was like mid-round three. I just really think that, uh, that that's a reach. Um, I definitely think safety is his better position, and I think he could have – mediocre to average numbers there I just don't see him as a playmaker I don't see him as a ball hawk I don't see him as a hard hitter um I just he's very meh to me you know I'm really just not excited about him at all uh well the thing that I like about him is it's not a new role for him he played safety his first year in college so 
you know, and then they asked him to move to linebacker, and he was just like, really? And but he ended up doing it, and he ended up, you know, proving proving to be versatile. And look at the the rest of the veterans and the rest of that secondary. You know, Rashad Breeland, who's come through and been a fairly decent corner. Now he's got Josh Norman on the other side, and D'Angelo Hall, kind of at the end of his career, playing. But he'll be playing free safety, so I think I, I think it'll be good. I I I don't love the landing spot for him, but I think the fact that he is got he does officially have that safety designation on MFL will will certainly help. You know, a lot of a lot of leagues you get you know more points for safety tackles as as opposed to linebacker tackles. So um, I think that actually might might help him in the long run, and I. I, I don't know. I don't, we'll see. We'll see if he can create some havoc and make some turnovers too. But uh, a lot to be a lot to be uh, unearthed there. I think. Um, any thoughts on my guy Sean Davis? One another one of my guys. I think he got the safety designation too. So I was hoping he'd get the corner designation, but then play free safety for Pittsburgh all year, so I could exploit that. But that wasn't wasn't the case. Any thoughts there, Bill? Sean Davis and Von Bell were very close, uh, five, five, six for me. So um, I could easily put Davis ahead of Von Bell. Um, I like his landing spot equally as well. I think that 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 uh, situation there is ripe for a safety. Um, I think that he can go in and contribute in year one. I'm not sure elite athleticism question mark. I'm not sure if there's elite athleticism um, to to uh, you know be super, super exciting and sexy, but I think that he's going to be a contributor. I think he's going to be a guy that goes in there, probably gives you a DB2, uh, low DB2, high DB3 um, numbers. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, defensive backs and trying to, you know, move your roster around, it's 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 a, a position that turns over more than most IDP. You know, you're moving defensive backs more than just about any position. So um, if you're looking to get rid of the Dante Whitners and the – you know, the guys that are getting long in the tooth and that have, you know, the Will Hills and things of that nature. Sean Davis is a guy that you can, you know, take in in the fifth, sixth round of your rookie drafts, and he's going to be plug and play. He's going to be a guy that gets you, you know, DB2, DB3 numbers right out of the gate, and I I, I like him quite a bit. Okay. Uh, do you have a sleeper there for us? Yeah, I've got a couple guys that I, that I like quite a bit. I mentioned Kevin Bayard. Um, he's currently my 13th ranked guy. I'm taking him late, super late, um, as a stash. Um, Tennessee, again, their their secondary is not super impressive. I think there's opportunity there for somebody to step up and, and be a playmaker. And then, you know, I was a Clayton Gathers guy last year, but the fact that Indianapolis drafted TJ Green, um, it kind of raised an eyebrow to me. And um, I'm not sure what their plans are long-term for their, for their um, secondary, but – it really raised an eyebrow for me, and I really took another look at T.J. Green, and I think he's a guy that's capable of stepping in and being a contributor. I'm not sure how many snaps he'll get year one, um, but he's a guy that I'm that I'm looking to put get a few shares of and put on a couple rosters. Um, I like him as a as a late round stash as well. Okay. Um, any any thoughts? I kind of mentioned it earlier, Bill. Any thoughts of the guys? that were we you know that some of those edge players that we were hoping to be defensive ends but now they're linebackers anybody out there saying to you that still still holds some decent value I, I think I think Kevin Dodd for me kind of stayed the same but everybody else kind of took a step back any, any thoughts there or anybody else that you like 
Yeah, I mean, they're kind of all in that same area for me. Um, you know, I like Dot. I have not currently ranked at 16. Um, it's just such a question mark. You know, when when you move these, these edge rush guys to outside linebacker, you know, what packages are they going to play in? How often are they going to be on the field? Um, it's it's just a little bit of a quagmire. Um you know, Kyler Fackrell is another guy that that uh, you know he's a, he's a bit intriguing. Um, I, I'm kind of curious how he does. You know, Shaq Lawson's a guy that man, I thought I thought very highly of him, but now that he's going to be uh, a linebacker, I'm not sure. You know, I don't I don't know. You know, I currently have him 13th, but had he been a defensive end somewhere, he probably would have cracked my top five. So it's just a big question mark. I'm not willing to invest a ton of draft capital in those guys, you know, it's very hard to, to hit on the Justin Houston's, you know, guys that, you know, will get you big sack numbers. Um, oftentimes those outside edge rush guys, they're not getting very many tackles and um, you know, they can be good defensive contributors on their team and put lots of pressures up and get a few passes defended, but very few guys are actually going to be sack monsters uh, in their career, let alone in year one. So I'm just really, really, um, not not willing to invest a bunch of draft capital in those kind of guys. Okay. Um, any any other questions there, Nick? Before we let Bill go, I'm just wondering when you're looking at the landing spots for safeties. If uh, when you're ranking them, you take into, into consideration the talent level of the cornerbacks playing in front of them. Maybe like if they had weaker corners, that would lead to more tackle opportunities. That sort of thing. I look um that's a good point. What I look at more so is is uh what kind of pressure their front's putting on. Um I, I like to go after guys where um their front is, is putting a bunch of pressure on the quarterback. Um I think that uh it creates more hurried passes, it creates more opportunities for interceptions. Um but that is something to to consider and look at. I, I really haven't necessarily thought about oftentimes i'll look at the quality of the safety opposite them but not so much the corners that are that are there um it also depends on scheme because a lot of you know as we see a lot of these teams are bringing their strong safety they're bringing them up in the box so there's there's less uh, opportunities in the secondary but more opportunities up front um, for those bubble screens and those you know short outs and the, you know the running backs coming out you know uh out of the backfield. So it, it's very predicated on, on uh, scheme and w- what uh, type of defense they're playing, what kind of role that person is. We're, we're kind of in the midst in the, in the, you know, beginning of a, of a defensive um, change, if you will, you know, these, these guys that are coming up in the box, these hybrid linebacker safeties, um, you know, guys like Tyron Matthew, that are safeties that, you know, he got a corner designation, you know, well, geez, that's interesting. You know, I mean, he's playing the majority of his snaps at corner, um, even though he's a, he's a uh, linebacker. So these defensive coordinators, they're moving pieces around. They're, they're changing pieces around. Um, it'll be really interesting to see some of these defensive tackles that I think very highly of, how they're, how they're going to be used. And, you know, by this time next year, we could be looking at a couple, two, three of these guys getting the de- defensive end designation. Um, so some of these guys might be decent stashes late, um, and could have more value next year. You know, again, it's all relative to what's your roster depth, how deep are your rosters. You know, some guys, they have, you know, IDP, they're on IBTP league where there's, they're 35 deep and they're having to cut quality starters every year. In some leagues, you got 55 to 60 roster spots. So um, 
it's all relative to, you know, what, what kind of, uh, what kind of league you're in and what, what's the scoring, et cetera. But it's definitely a good point uh, to, to take into account. Something I probably should look at a little, a little harder. Okay. Well, as always, Bill, amazing stuff. We, we, we appreciate you and uh, keep grinding there, but appreciate it. And, and just as a last sec, you know, it's kind of repeat what I said earlier, take the value, you know, don't, uh, don't get in love with uh, the shiny new toy. Uh, I get a lot of DMS from people that follow me that, you know, they're like, I really love so-and-so and, you know, I, I'm, I'm in round three and they, you know, they, they really love, you know, Leonard Floyd or whoever. And it's like, well, you know, think about the value, think about where he's at. Think, look at ADP, take your time, you know, with these draft picks. Um, no, don't take too much time. Cause you'll take off your, your teammates your league mates, but take your time, look at what the ADP is, look at what is available, consider the fact that you could trade down, consider, you know, consider all your options and, and really try to expand on your value. If, if you're making uh, moves that increase the value of your team, then the value of that, that slot in your, on your roster, then you're working towards creating a dynasty. And that's really what it's all about is eventually getting to the point where you're stacked and and you're just reloading every year. You're not, you know, you're not having to struggle to figure out who you're going to start, how you're going to start people because you have studs at every position. So really look at that value. Uh, consider all your options. Don't be in any kind of a hurry to make a pick or make a trade. Be patient. Um, and anytime, you know, and, and Josh and I, we were working on a trade earlier today, but I will tell you, anytime that you can trade this year's pick for next year's pick sooner, uh, that's earlier. If you can trade a fifth for next year's fourth, or you can trade a sixth for next year's fifth, I don't care who's available. It's it's value, and I think that that's the right move. Every 100% of the time, that's the right move. So, look for those options. Be willing to put those picks up there, especially late picks. You know, fourth, fifth, sixth rounders. Put your sixth rounder up for a for a 2017 fifth. Um, really work hard because if you do that every single year, before you know it every three or four years, you're going to be looking at a stack draft where you're going to have three or four firsts, a couple of seconds and a couple of thirds. And you're going to be able to really, really um, corner the market on, on the rookies that year. And, and again, back to, you know, creating a dynasty. That's what it's all about. You know, it's creating that stack team that that's going to contend every year. So I appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, and look forward to listening to the rest of the show. All right, cool. Take care, Bill. Have a good one. All right. Bye. I'm going to get him an intro anyway. Maybe I can find some good show tunes for him. But anyway, uh, awesome, amazing stuff. And that's, you know, we we work hard on the IDP side because we we, we know that you guys love it. So we, we appreciate the love that you've given us, and, and we, we will continue to uh, play that chess game. Or <laughs> continue that chess battle, I should say. Um Anyway, as we teased for a couple weeks now, we're finally going to do the Dynasty Dilemma where we pit Michael Thomas versus Mike Thomas. Now, forgive us if we screw that up, but I think – did you have a little problems writing this, Nick, in terms of I, every time you wrote who you wanted to mention, it was like, I have to write Mike or, or, or of the Rams or of the Saints. Uh I didn't realize that when we when we said this, I thought it would just be fun to do them since they have the same name. And do you know there's another Mike Thomas too, a safety? The Dolphins. Oh, I didn't know that. Anyway, 
Um, let's uh, play the music so we can breathe. And uh, we're going to do Michael Thomas from the Saints versus Mike Thomas from the Rams. I think I am going first. One second. of Southern Miss, now currently an L.A. Ram. I know the big the big easy route to go here is, is the route that I so often go. Well, the big reward could obviously be getting Mike Thomas in the late second or early third instead of spending the mid-first on Michael Thomas of the Saints. But isn't the real argument that Mike, who is going to the Rams, is in a much better situation for targets as Michael, who is going to the Saints? The Rams have hadn't have not had a wide receiver one since the days of Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt when they had basically two wide receiver ones. Meanwhile, the Saints will never, ever have a wide receiver one because Drew, Drew Brees loves to spread the ball around so much. You, you look at Drew Brees' career there at the Saints, and there, there isn't a clear-cut number one. You know, Maybe some of those years with Jimmy Graham, he, he had, you know, you know, 20, 30 more targets than anybody, but it, it's just an offense that, you know, exploits the mismatch and wherever they can do it. And I just, I just don't see Thomas emerging. I, I think he's going to be a Michael Thomas emerging. I think he's going to be a very nice player. I just don't know if he's going to get that wide receiver one status. Last year, Brandon Cooks, Willie Sneed, and Ben Watson also over 10, 100 targets. Uh, now Watson's been replaced by Kobe Fleener, who is younger. Uh, in that same offense last year, Marcus Colston, who people are saying that Michael Thomas is replacing. Uh, Michael, Marcus Colston, Brandon Cooks, and Mark Ingram all counted for 160 more targets. So you're probably thinking at least their targets go around. And uh, thankfully, neither one of these Michael Thomases ended up on the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, and now I understand how you can poo-poo the Rams passing game all you want. Uh, but the targets are still at least there. And he, their wide receiver core has really just been crappy at converting the targets. If you look at it, they're all like under 50% in converting targets. Now, I know that quarterbacks for the Rams are totally not blameless, but uh, that matters not now as Jared Goff is in town. And I know they also brought in like six or seven wide receivers via draft and undrafted free agents. Uh, but I just think Thomas is going to, in one to two years going to emerge as the wide receiver one for this team. Meanwhile, Michael Thomas will still be, you know, probably a wide receiver two there with, uh, with Brandon cooks as they, you know, look to exploit the, the size versus speed mismatch going back and forth there with them. Um, you know, I don't necessarily find it too hard to do these dilemmas, Nick, but sometimes with these rookies, I just, I, I kind of felt hard finding this one. Of course, I've been very busy the last couple of weeks, but I just kind of find, found it a little hard finding um, the exact bead on this because there were two rookies against each other and, you know, the situation, but 
Anyway, I'm not defending my case very well. Nick, what do you got for us on Michael Thomas of the Saints? Well, I'm surprised you didn't bring up the speed factor because, you know, L.A.'s Mike Thomas is faster. He's a 4-4 guy, whereas the New Orleans' Michael Thomas is a 4-5-7 40 guy. But, you know, other than speed, to me, every argument is in Michael Thomas's favor. He's two inches taller, six foot three. To me, he's in a far better situation quarterback and head coach-wise, and he's valued higher by the dynasty community. His four shares in DFW 48 went between 1.25 and 1.34, whereas Mike from the Rams went between 2.45 and 3.17. That's in the range of uh, Braxton Miller, Farrell Cooper, if you want some sort of idea. Um, Now, if you're a Jared Goff believer, then you may value Mike higher, but that whole situation to me just screams stay away. Jeff Fisher's teams haven't had good offenses for quite a while, and while initially initially L.A. fans are going to be happy just to have a team, the second biggest city in America may not support a losing team for long. I mean, heck, in the 80s, they didn't even support winning teams for enough for the Raiders and Rams to stick around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the DFW draft guide raises two, two huge red flags to me about L.A.'s Mike Thomas. One, he needs to improve run blocking. On a team with Todd Gurley, the, that could cost him snaps early. And if he's not only unpracticed but also an unwilling run blocker, he may never have an impact on the field on the Jeff Fisher team. But you know what? Of course, wide receivers' number one job isn't blocking, it's catching. And that brings me to red flag number two. Mike Thomas dropped 10% of his receptions in 2015, whereas Michael had very few drops. If you can't catch, you can't play wide receiver in the NFL. As a skin fan, Rod Gardner is the first name that comes to mind as a receiver that had a short career due to his poor hands, but I'm sure every team has a Rod Gardner in their history. So we have a wide receiver in a questionable situation who can't catch or block versus a 6'3 guy who now gets to play in a Drew Brees, Sean Payton offense that's desperate for an infusion of pass-catching talent. Brandon Coleman owners, they're out of luck. Uh, Willie Sneed, he's now pretty much a bi-week plug only. And Michael Thomas is in a great opportunity to have a, a, a big production there in New Orleans. Uh, the Raiders guy that couldn't catch was uh, Darius Haywood Bay. I mean, he's still somehow in the league. But anyway, um, yeah, I do – I did – I was saving the speed factor, maybe, for the uh, for the rebuttal <laughs> here. Um, but I just – and I do own golf in at least one league. I think I'm stacked with golf and Thomas and, and DFW48. But I, I just think it's going to be a completely different situation, and maybe that's what I just keep telling myself. But I – I, I think they're both going to be very nice players, but in terms of what the draft capital you have to spend on them, I think they could very much have similar careers, and I think you're getting a better value if you take a, a guy like uh, Mike Mike Thomas late later on, you know, and maybe if you had even had that pick to take Michael Thomas, and maybe you go uh, uh, with uh, like a Tyler Boyd or a Will Fuller guy, maybe more of a developmental piece, and then you get Mike Thomas too. So you know, two years down the road, you got these you got these two stud wide receivers and. Meanwhile, Mike Th- Mike Thomas is still fighting Brandon Cooks for targets, but we'll see. We'll see. It's it's weird because I I I don't know. I, I, I generally try to stay away from Saints receivers just because I I know they have a great passing game, but it's just so hard to figure out week in and week out who's going to have that production. It's a little bit like the New England running back situation. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I just just not sold on what they can do and I think because you're getting the, the the better the better draft the better ADP out of Mike Thomas I think that's why I would still still lean that route and 
as as I now say that I realize I do own both of these guys, and <laughs> not in one, not in the same league, but uh, in, in different leagues. But I own, I think I own Mike Thomas in at least two, and Mike only in one because I didn't get that pick. But um, any any other thoughts there, Nick? Uh, just I do agree. That's a great point about uh, Saints receivers being a little bit untrustworthy, but I still would prefer uh, Michael over Mike. Okay. Um, well, each and every week I give my co-host Nick the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering him and something that's on his mind. Um, sometimes I like to call it shots fired. Sometimes um, it's fo- not football related. Sometimes. Uh, Thing I like to call it. Sometimes, I don't know. It's usually my favorite moment of the week. So, uh, what do you got for us, Nick? I think we titled this one Mini Camp Overreaction. Okay, so a lot of the first rookie minicamps are done. I just wanted to run down a few observations that I've seen reported. Uh, We'll start in Cleveland where first-rounder Corey Coleman, who was drafted to play wide receiver, is so out of shape, apparently he's going to be moved to tight end. I don't know. Sorry if you already drafted him. Uh, In Chicago, they're having the opposite problem with the ninth overall pick, Leonard Floyd. He's so skinny, the team uh, told the linebacker to eat every two hours. I mean, what is he, 165 pounds? Maybe they're going to have to move him to kicker. I don't know. Uh, In Buffalo, first-rounder. Shaq Lawson had shoulder surgery. Maybe he'll be back in four to six months. Others say he'll never even move his arm again, let alone play football. That's not bad news. All bad news, however, though. In Oakland, it seems Derek Carr is now on the trading block after rookie Connor Cook's amazing start in practice. You know, of course, these are all parody overreactions of actual stories, but it's borderline ridiculous that these are even stories. You know, every year we hear so-and-so isn't in football shape in their first minicamp. Well, duh, after their college careers uh, were done, they shifted to track star training to shine during the combine in their pro days. Then they spent a month or two traveling the country to every team's facility because every team's got to meet with them five times. We shouldn't expect them to be in football shape. But, you know, if you're scared and you want to trade me Coleman for a 2017 second-round pick, feel free to hit me up. Uh, really, though, media and fans overreacting to these stories pales in comparison to the report that a number of teams passed on Connor Cook, not due to anything that Connor did, but because they didn't like his father, who in the past posted a number of things on social media that we'll just say were of questionable taste and had reportedly earned a bad reputation at Michigan State teams. And to me, that is completely unfair. To punish the child for the sins of the father, you know what, question why if Connor wasn't the team's captain, that's fair. But to pass on a talented quarterback because his dad might be a jerk, stupid. Uh, But, you know, since we are now aware that this could be happening, hopefully it's a teachable moment for other young prospects and their families. In the internet age, don't post stupid things that could have an impact on your relative's future. Yeah, and, you know, we've seen this thing happen with presidential elections and their their wives and things that they've been into. And and where I get where you're coming from, I also think um, you know, on on the flip side, the last two years, you know, the Raiders signed Greg Townsend's son. The year before, they signed Greg George Atkins' son. So, and and they only did that because their dads were former Raiders. I mean, there's no reason for them to bring those guys in. There's no there's no way any of those guys are going to even make make the roster. It's just it's just a thing. So I feel like if you're going to do that. You know, maybe it's kind of okay to go the go the other way there, but uh, I I still think both both sides don't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, obviously, if you're bringing a kid in just to make him feel good during rookie camp, whatever. But you know, don't don't 
you know, falsify him with information, thinking he's going to make the team. <laughs> you know, just say, "Oh, we brought you in because your dad's a Raider, so well, maybe maybe you can be one too." And that and that's really all it usually boils down to. So, um, you know, I still a little perplexed by the cook thing. It makes sense. Like I said earlier, I don't want him to step on the field because that means Derek Carr is probably going to be hurt. But uh, I'll, I'll take the draft value. And if we, if we trade him for like a third round pick, as opposed to the fourth round pick that we spent on him, I guess, I guess we, we made a, we made a, you know, we made a, a step in the right direction there. So I, uh, I, and it's nice to have a competent backup. You know, that's one thing I feel like teams get lost every year in the draft, and we saw it last year. Look at Dallas. Look at Houston. Look at Pittsburgh having to go with Landry Jones and Mike the Michael Vick tandem there for a while. That that affects the team, and that's something that I don't feel like enough teams address, and that's why I can't believe that a guy like Connor Cook, who started for four years in college, and was very successful, a nice game manager type of player, but you know, limited his, his turnovers. It went, went that far without getting drafted. It went into day three, and it's, it's Oakland's game because his dad's a jerk, so <laughs> whatever. Um, I guess we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, let's uh, play the clip for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Next week, um, we are going to be talking quarterbacks and tight ends, and of course, I'll probably try to interject some uh, some offensive linemen there, but we'll probably just do like top five quarterbacks and top five tight ends. Maybe it seems a little weird for us to do top five tight ends, but hey, you never know who's going to emerge. So we're going to try to find that for you for next week. Let's do some dynasty trade analysis. Time for dynasty trade analysis. Okay, I think all of these trades we either me or you did, Nick. I could be wrong. Um, first one. Uh, sorry, Andy Dalton for five point zero two, two thousand seventeen third in a two thousand eighteen second. This was uh, me and uh, fellow DFW co-owner Jeannie O'Will. What do you think, there, Nick? Um, I think it's. Very, very even. I'll probably go with the side that got Dalton just because it's a proven player, but I think that's more than fair value in uh, draft pick compensation. Um, I'm personally, I, both of us uh, are bigger on Andy Dalton than, than a lot of the community, but yeah, I think that's a great trade all around. Yeah, and I, I, I needed another quarterback in this league. My only real quarterback being Flacco. Um, being sorry, it's hard to reflect. Being high on Nick Foles two years ago just killed me throughout the dynasty community. Not like my reputation, just hurt my teams, and uh, I'm still trying to pick up the pieces for that. So that's why I would say if you're if in a startup and you have a chance to have three veteran quarterbacks or two veteran quarterbacks and like a Carson Wentz or a Jared Goff, absolutely go for it. Grab a fourth if he's available in the 20th round. Why not? Because 
you, you just never know. And I'm talking about like a 12-team league where I'm still trying to pick up the pieces from uh, with Joe Flacco and Sam Bradford being my old, old quarterbacks. I opted to go Sam Bradford over Derek Carr. Nick picked up those pieces and promptly drafted uh, Blake Bortles right after that. I'm sure we've talked about that situation before, but that's just, you know, and yeah, you run a risk taking two rookie quarterbacks, but you know, it's, it was late. I mean, I'd love to, I don't know if you remember where you got those two rookie quarterbacks that year, what round in a startup, Nick, but uh, I think you're certainly getting well, well served from, I know it was probably like at least round 13 and beyond there. Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but, but yeah, it was definitely late in the draft. And Jamie turned around and just started dealing right after this. I mean, a whole bunch of other things. I think he's got four 2017 first, which is, uh, could be uh, interesting. But um, what do you think about Brandon Marshall? Yeah, Brandon Marshall for just a 2017 first. Now, this is me and uh, Jim Day, who is otherwise known as the Fantasy Taz, uh, at Fantasy Taz on Twitter, a very well-respected person within the Dynasty community. And, Actually helped me set up this my first dynasty league. Um, eventually helped me set it up a few years ago. The first one that I was the uh, commissioner of. So just just a, a great a great dude. And anytime I get a chance to mention his name, I always just have to tell people what an awesome person he is. But anyway, so this is not a weird just a player for a pick trade. But uh, I, I would like to preface it, Nick, with this was we went back and forth. This was like probably five or six counters. And I finally said, you know what, let's just simplify this and do this. And he's like, okay. So what do you think? Well, I understand both sides, obviously for trading next year's first round pick for an older wide receiver, you're pretty much going all in on this year, trying to win now. Um, but personally, I would definitely trade away an aging wide receiver. I'm not sure Brandon Marshall is exact age, but he's in his thirties uh, for a first round pick. I, I would do that every time. Yep, and you know, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, I was able to trade Eric Decker for a first third round pick and that first those two picks I got Michael Thomas from the Saints and Austin Hooper from Atlanta. So those are the picks I got essentially that's what I got for Eric Decker and obviously there's a lot to be said in terms of what their career is going to go. And then I turned around and got a first round pick for Brandon Marshall and I you know, I didn't love the fact that I had two Jets receivers. Last year I had three Jets receivers, but they still don't have a quarterback. I mean, we don't know who their quarterback's going to be, so I, I, if I'm getting a first-round pick for a Geno Smith wide receiver, yeah, yes, please. I don't care if it's Brandon Marshall, and I know Brandon Marshall could make up for for a lot, but hopefully I'm going to, you know, I'm kind of, I, I went, tried to go wide receiver heavy in some of my rookie drafts, and then you know, if I can grab an extra 2017 first, I can get a couple running backs because, this, again, this class is huge. i got the Debris report coming out. Just about six of these running backs. Uh, maybe I'll have to do a, a part two of who's left over, but i got a, uh, a Debris report coming out about the top uh, the top six six pack here. So I think that's coming out on Friday, so make sure you check that out. Um, also, re- really good insight from Alan Satterley coming out tomorrow with his uh, Fantasy Index index expert draft that's going to be uh, coming up here in a magazine there. I think we had Alan talk about that last year on the show. He's doing that again there. So, uh, But, yeah, pretty happy to trade, a, uh, as Mike, our buddy Mike Graffick put it, a 32-year-old wide receiver for a, 
potential stud first-rounder next year. And, and I know Jim is a savvy player, so this is probably not going to be an, an early first, but uh, with, you know, potential of I see six running backs that can be first locks for first-round picks next year. Uh, that's that's I think one of those guys could maybe slip through the cracks there. Now, this is the trade that I've – I think this is – yeah, no. Is this one of your Carson Wentz trades here, Nick? I can't remember now. Um, I can't With remember the, uh, the trades that we're doing. Okay, it's 2.0447.1, 2017 second, and 2017 fourth. Are you traded out of this? I'm oh, sorry. This is you trading – that fourth overall pick and getting a seventh this year and a second and fourth. So I think Bruce traded back up to get this, and this is just the cronies league. Yep. So basically I was trying to, (laughs) yeah, just trying to acquire more future draft picks. Uh, That wasn't uh, really in a win now type of mode. So had the opportunity to turn a second into a second and a fourth and couldn't pass that up. Yeah, and you got a seventh too. So Bruce and Bruce traded up to. It, it, this is again. This is a weird draft because there's a lot of a lot of veterans and rookies in this one. So he traded up to get Travis Benjamin, who was a a free agent there, still in that class. Um, and just I see you change. No, oh, somebody somebody changed their team name in this league to Wentz Wagon. Um, <laughs> um, I just wanted to put it in perspective. Who who you got? Seven point one. You only know, got Nate Washington. So there you go. Um, just a nice lottery ticket there at the end of that draft. I can't uh, can't dis- disagree with that there. So, yeah, and like Nick said, if you're in a situation where you you don't think you're going to be able to roster seven of these guys, you just not a lot of people you can cut. Might, might as well trade some of those picks and get future picks because then, if you're still in that same situation next year, you can just continue to do that there. So, um. Just realized that I kind of had best. Did you get? Are you prepared for best number thirty-five, Nick? I think I I had that buried in there under my trade analysis, and I just now saw. It. Uh, yes, yes, I am prepared. Okay, well, obviously I might not be, but uh, the only one that pops into my head is Neil Anderson, Walter Payton's backup. What do you got? What do you got for us for best number thirty-five? Well, he was actually the first one to pop him into my head. And, and, you know, last week we left off with Walter Payton as the best 34, so why not start the best 35 discussion with the man who replaced him in Chicago with Neil Anderson? You know, it couldn't have been easy filling those shoes, the top all-time rusher in history at the time. But Anderson performed admirably, four straight Pro Bowls from 1988 through 91. Um, Christian Okoye was a contemporary of uh, Anderson. He only went to two Pro Bowls, but the Nigerian Nightmare did lead the league in rushing in 1989 with 1,480 yards for Kansas City. Uh, Jim Nance, not the announcer, was a a fullback for the Boston Patriots who twice led the league in rushing in 1966 and 1967. Don't really see that happening again with a fullback leading the league in rushing. Uh, Calvin here, Calvin Hill had a 12-year career as a running back, but his first six years all in Dallas were, is when he was at his best. Four-time Pro Bowler, was named an All-Pro as a rookie in 1969. You know, I admit number 35 isn't the deepest number we've done, but we do have a couple of Hall of Famers at the top of the list. John Henry Johnson was uh, an eight 
two-time Hall of Fame finalist before finally getting in in 1987. Uh, the fullback played from 1954 through 1966, three years in San Francisco, three in Detroit, six years in Pittsburgh, where he went to three of his four Pro Bowls, 1962 through 1964, and one year in Houston. Uh, in 1957, Johnson and the Lions won the NFL championship, pre-Super Bowl era, of course. Uh, and his two 1,000-yard rushing seasons both came after the age of 32, so definitely a different era back then. Uh, Johnson is a Hall of Famer, but I definitely could not name anyone other than Cardinals and Rams great Aeneas Williams as the top number 35 of all time. Uh, Aeneas Williams went to eight Pro Bowls, was a three-time All-Pro, five interceptions, and he led the NFL in 1994 with nine interceptions. It's really a shame that he only got to play in one postseason game. Uh, Williams may have never won a title, but he easily wins the honor of top number 35 of all time. Um, Yeah, and I think I, I could be way off on this, but I think Aeneas Williams is the only player to have two interception returns for touchdowns in one playoff game. Like, he, he did that twice. I don't know if you guys remember the, the Brett Favre five-interception meltdown at St. Louis. Aeneas Williams took two of those back for touchdowns, and I'm pretty sure the Rams scored another pick 6-2. <laughs> it wasn't Aeneas Williams, but, yeah, maybe the, potentially the first player to, or first and only player to have two interception returns for touchdowns in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, Aeneas Williams, he just – like I talked about earlier with um, with some cornerbacks last year or last week when we talked about Dale Carter. You know, growing up, you don't know a lot about a lot of defensive players unless they're very good. And Neus Williams is certainly somebody I knew I knew about. Um, coincidentally, I've emailed him more than once to see if he can come on the show. Maybe that should, maybe I should try to email him again. He's got some foundation out there that we could, of course, let him promote on our show as long as he let us talk to him. Uh, but uh, yeah, good numbers. Sorry, I was not more prepared for that. Like I said, it got buried in my notes there. And uh, interesting to note that Neil Anderson did certainly uh, go out there on a, on a limb and have a good a good career post Walter Payton. And uh, even though his window was very small, Christian Okoye was an absolute Nigerian nightmare. Like as you said, um, of course that was fall, followed up by the uh, Barry Word era in Kansas City. <laughs> Who was quite the quite the uh, power back in his own right? Um, but I thought it was uh, fun. Quick, now, quick, quick correction: I don't know where I got that he only played one postseason game, but that is completely wrong. He played in six postseason games. So my bad. <laughs> just just had to. Aeneas Williams. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I thought it'd be fun for me and Nick. Now we have maybe one. Well, we only have one of our rookie drafts done, but it's the DFW 16 league. It's, it's. I want to say it's almost an expert league. It's may, it's mainly a writers league, and for some reason we we invited like just like the best of the best from DFW 36 to come in this league. Maybe not the best of the best, but some fairly good guys from DFW 36 to be in this league too. So it's kind of, it's, it's a tough league. And with the fact that it's 16 teams, it's the league that I keep talking about with the quarterbacks, that quarterback position, even though we only start one is huge because, you know, 16 times 32 is the same number of teams that we have in the NFL. Uh, take that. Um, but um, I thought it'd be fun to look at our, uh, our drafts kind of as a whole and me and Nick's, drafts and would grade each other's drafts. Nick, so what do you got on my DFW 16 draft? Okay. 
deep breath here because you got 13 picks here. So uh, 1.04, Corey <laughs> Coleman, 1.10, Tyler Boyd, 1.14, Miles Jack, 2.04, Keith Marshall, the running back for Washington, 3.04, Austin Hooper, the tight end in Atlanta, 3.10, Houston's running back, Tyler Irvin, 4.04, Miles Killebrew, the safety in Detroit, 5.04, Jamison Crowder, 6.04, Jonathan Bullard, uh, the Chicago defensive end, 6.07, Cody Kessler, the quarterback for Cleveland, 7.02, Darius Jackson, running back Dallas, 7.06, Jaron Reed, uh, defensive tackle Seattle, and 7.04, B.J. Goodson, the linebacker for the Giants. So 13 picks, three first-rounders, two third-rounders, seven picks in the first four rounds. Uh, you know, I love the Coleman and Boyd picks. Uh, Miles Jack at 14, a little too high for me. You know, the boomer bust due to the injury. Uh, no other defensive players went until pick 2.07. The next linebacker, uh, 2.11. As a skin fan, I love your enthusiasm about Keith Marshall, but 2.04 for a seventh-round pick. Uh, guys like Jordan Howard, Kenyon Drake, Alex Collins, and DeAndre Washington, uh, they're still on the board, but getting Tyler Irvin in the third kind of off- offsets that. Uh, I thought that was good value. Uh, it's best ball format, so, you know, Kilbrew in round four and Crowder in round five should give you some good good weeks. Same goes for Bullard in sixth and uh, Reed in the seventh. Uh, the simple fact is that about half of rookies don't pan out. So if you you, you went with quantity as well as quality with the three first-rounders. But the fact that you needed a quarterback, your uh, quarterbacks on your roster are Matt Ryan, Kaepernick, and Cody Kessler, and drafting Jack costs you get, uh, getting a top-three quarterback, plus you reached a little bit for Marshall. But I, still, with 13 picks, I can't go any lower than a B plus. Yeah, you know, and typically if I'm having trouble making my picks, and I know I needed to take a quarterback, I just didn't do it. I just look at my own rankings and let that be the gauge, and that's why I took Marshall. And I knew there was no, I knew there was no way I was going to get him in the next round with there being 16 picks between each round there. So I was just like, well, I, I, I got to do it. So, um, well, to to bring it down a little bit, Nick only had four picks in this <laughs> in this draft, <laughs> and I think you traded was it your was it your sixth, seventh, and fifth to get up in the at the end of the first round. Is that right? Yep, that's correct. Yep, I traded a uh, 2.03 in my fifth, sixth, and seventh, which I didn't have roster space to keep that many rookies anyway, so I figured I was not really giving up a whole lot to get the, the only quarterback I wanted in the draft class, Carson Wentz. So, yeah, Nick had uh, 1.03, took a took a Redskin, imagine that, but at least it's Josh Doxson, um, who I just saw earlier today is going to wear number 18, in case you needed to order your jersey. Um but uh, I, I like to pick. It's gonna it's gonna take probably, I think, a full year before he's uh, uh, inserted, you know, into that lineup as the wide receiver one. But I, we we know it's coming. He's at least gonna get the chance. You know, we always talk about can this guy be a wide receiver one at the next level? It, and then in Doxon's case, he's one of the top four players in this draft because, you know, even if he doesn't pan out, and I think he's gonna be just fine. If he doesn't pan out, he's still going to get the chance to be a wide receiver one. It's not very often that a player, you know, you want to see these guys develop into that, but this guy, he's going to have the chance because he already has stats. He's got the ball skills. He's going to be an absolute red zone beast, especially with the guy like Jordan Reed, you know, creating havoc and mismatches, and and hopefully James Crowder can come across the middle and do something. 
do some great damage there as well, too. Um, and, any thoughts on Crowder? I noticed, I think I took him in a couple of our leagues where veterans were available there, too, Nick. But, man, I think where I took Crowder in UFW 16, I considered taking him in, like, in the second and in the third, and then he ended up getting him in the fifth. Any thoughts there on on Crowder? I mean, isn't, isn't he Robin to Doxon's back, Batman here in the future there with Washington? Uh, in the future, yes. Uh, for, as far as 2016 is concerned, I'm not very high on Crowder just because he's going to be a little bit buried there with uh, Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon still in the fold. But with both of those guys possibly on their way out the door after this season, that would really open up a lot of opportunities for Crowder. Plus, you look at the fact that Deshaun Jackson's never been the healthiest, so it's possible that he sees some action this season, but I really like him heading into 2017 and beyond. Mm-hmm. And Washington did cut Andre Roberts. I know you were on the edge about that, but he's officially not a Washington Redskin anymore. Um, so, of course, the big pick that I've been yelling at Nick for the last couple of weeks, Carson Wentz, at the last pick of the first round. Um, and with, you know, the emphasis of this being a 16-team league and everybody wanting at least two quality quarterbacks, it's even if he, I I believe he does start at some point in time this year, but even if he doesn't, it's, totally worth the risk to let him sit on your bench for one year, especially the fact that you already have Bortles and Roethlisberger. So, I mean, it's maybe some people might poo-poo the fact that you traded up to take a wide receiver or excuse me, a quarterback when you have two starters already. Uh, But, uh, you know, Roethlisberger's health has not been the greatest and it's, it's nice to have somebody coming that's already on an NFL roster, especially when it's not Cody Kessler. I kind of, I kind of, did that to myself. I had I had no intention of taking Cody Kessler in any rookie draft. Um, but I was like, well, at least I don't have to take Hackenberg, right? And I really thought about taking Jeff Driscoll just because I have Kaepernick in this league. And it's like, oh, Driscoll's going to be there. No, nobody else has nobody else has a San Francisco quarterback. They're not even thinking. Of course, Driscoll went right 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 after I took Kessler. Oh, I was more than willing to take on crappy rookie quarterbacks for a year and just to see what happens. Uh, in the third round, you picked up Wendell Smallwood, who, you know, we maybe it maybe gets overplayed a little bit, but very versatile running back. Obviously, going to get a chance to see some three three down duties with uh, Darren Sproles effectively on the training block there in Philadelphia. I uh, just think I think he's going to be a fun piece in that offense. You know, can he be? the DeAnthony Thomas to that offense. I think he can. I think he can be a whole lot more. We obviously know Ryan Matthews' health history is not great either. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Wood, what, excuse me, Smallwood, as a, if he's asked to go between the tackles. I just don't see that. But he, he is a guy that's uh, kind of like a, a, a zoomer, like a guy that can get in and out of places really well. So, um as the you know, it's it's weird how landing spots really make these guys come closer. I was definitely a Paul Perkins guy before the draft. Um, not huge on him, but I, I certainly liked him above Smallwood. But now with Smallwood in this situation, I, I even if Perkins is the starter next year, I still I think I would still favor Smallwood just because of the the future that he could have in in Philadelphia, especially with that versatility. I. I actually just heard an interview with him today of uh, Fran Duffy of Eagles.com where he talked about, you know, he 
he's lined up in the slot. He's lined up as the X wide receiver too. So he's just a guy that knows how to do a lot of different things. And that's going to translate very well. Taze Sharp on Tennessee. Um, I, I love Sharp. He's, he was my number 10 wide receiver post draft after landing spots. And I actually traded up in DFW 36 to get, to get a copy of him just to be sure that I got one. And I got no problem putting Tajay Sharp on my uh, taxi squad for a year. Uh, um, You know, and I traded, I think I traded up a later pick and a future pick to get Sharp because at least if the guy that I'm going to take in the fourth or fifth round next year, I I, I would rather have Sharp who, who at least has a year of NFL knowledge under his belt and, Two, two years from now, I know the starters in that offense should be DGB and Tajay Sharp. I just think I've talked about it before in the question and answer. And, again, when I updated the, the Sharp profile post-draft, I just I think what he can give Marcus Mariota is a lot of the similar things that he was used to at Oregon. He's not the DeAnthony Thomas, you know, 4-3 burner, but he's a guy that knows how to run routes. He's going to be right where he needs to be when, when the pocket breaks down for Mariota. And I think you're going to see just a great, strong relationship out of, out of, those, out of those two guys. I think they're both very similar personalities, and I think Mariota's just going to love dumping the ball off to him, and that's going to be fun. And he's a guy that shows the ability to create after the catch, not like a lot of the bigger wide receivers can in this class. Obviously, Coleman's Coleman's another guy that just has elite movement, and and Sharp is a guy. It's while we saw it at somewhat of a smaller level, I just think he's going to be fit very nice in that offense. There's a bunch of other veteran wide receivers there, but when it all said and done, a couple of those veterans are gone because they cost too much money. Sharp's going to be, you know, the the new the newer Kendall Wright, I believe, in this offense. So I I, I want I'm going to give you an A minus uh, just because. I don't know. You didn't treat me very well in this draft, but uh, a minus because I think I think you got the best value in each round. Um, maybe a little high on Sharp, but if he's you know if he's the top receiver on your board at that point, I cannot downplay it at all. I mean, I actually took Kiaris Garrett in front of Sharp, and then I was like, oh, you know what? I really want Sharp too in DFW thirty six, so I traded up to get Sharp as well. So. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I think it's a pretty solid draft. You know, only four picks, but I think you got four contributors. Even even if it takes a year for all of these guys, I think it's going to be well well worth it for your team in, in the future. There. Well, and one uh, more thing I want to, or one more point I want to make on uh, the the Smallwood and the Sharp picks is I drafted Smallwood because I have Darren Sproles, and I also have Kendall Wright, which played into the Tajay Sharp. Uh, pick so kind of kind of hedging my bets, trying to protect myself for those guys uh, moving on to different teams in the future. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's very smart, and that's kind of I think one of those things where the the best ball format comes into play, and it, it it almost makes your picks for you in some of those instances where like I wish I could have got my hands on Kenneth Dixon, but I didn't. Um, uh, I was hoping to get him at 1.10 in TFW 16 because I have four set and Buck Allen. It would have been, you know, as much as you don't want to waste a roster spot on three running backs from one team, it's it's in this format. It's certainly certainly well worth it, and that that is the exact same reason that I waited and waited and waited to take him the linebacker, and I ended up taking B.J. Goodson with my last pick in this draft because he's going to be fighting with. Um, 
Oh, who's the Washington? Keenan, Keenan Robinson, excuse me, the former Washington Redskins, who's now going to try to be the man of the middle for the Giants. So if, if Robinson fails, you know it's going to be Goodson's gain. Uh, don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but I want to be prepared for that there. So it's nice, like you said, to, to hedge your bets. Um, one other point about Carson Wentz, I thought maybe his career could be a little bit similar to somebody else that we love named the Red Rifle. But I wonder, and he already kind of has it going, but I wonder, Nick, if if Andy Dalton should sit aside sit, sit aside and talk to Wentz about uh, his hairstyle. Now, I know they're both, you know, they're both redheads. They're both ginger people. But last year when Dalton got that full hawk thing, he was a different person, a different, different swagger to him, you know, and, and I'm just saying Wentz's hair is kind of plain right now. But uh, maybe maybe the redheads need to, to join together. I'm not picking on anybody here, but maybe they just need to join together and, and work. Maybe Carson needs a little more uh, swag to to uh, for that Philly fan base to like him. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, if memory serves me correctly, it was Clint Portis who said, if I look good, I play good, when he was uh, getting fired for, you know, <laughs> stupid little uniform things. So, yeah, you know, anything that gives a guy more confidence is, is definitely a plus. Okay. Well, that is all we have for you today. Like I said, uh, next week, so next week we will be talking um, quarterbacks and tight ends, maybe a few, a few offensive line nuggets there. So uh, look forward to that next week. Um, any any closing thoughts there, Nick? Uh, no, great show. We definitely learned a lot from Bill Latin. Great, great every time he comes on to give us some IDP knowledge. Yes, yes, and we 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 continue to we'll continue to have Bill on so we can as we get closer to the season two to kind of help help you guys along that way in those full full IDP formats. So, as always, great show, Nick. We will talk to you next week. But sounds good.